0: Welcome, folks, if you're joining live. Good to see you. Some lovely worship. It was good. Good to be back. Missed, miss not preaching. You know, I joke, oh, I've got a couple of weeks off. Oh, I've got two weeks off. I said that to a guy last week. Are you preaching? No, got a week off. But it's not the same. I love preparing the sermon and then delivering it. You know, it's, I, I just wonder if pastors and teachers and leaders realize the the privilege they have it's one of the very few things when folk are willingly going to sit for an hour and listen you know where else they don't do in school (laughs) i've noticed they don't do i've noticed they don't do in college um so yeah they do it in church sometimes amen hallelujah let's pray father thank you for our worship thank you that we've been in this place Thank you for the brothers and sisters gathered here. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who are not with us, but with us in spirit. Thank you that I just know that they'll be blessed wherever they are, whatever they're doing this morning. But thank you now, Father, that we're going to gather around your word. We're going to plant some seeds. Amen. Hallelujah. Plant these seeds into our hearts. And I just speak our understanding so these seeds are not stolen, that you can produce fruit. That we desire in Jesus' name, Amen. I was going to say, you know, let them be watered. Didn't need any watering today. Plenty of, plenty of rain today. Did anybody see the the um, tra- train platform at Greenock station? It's like a canal. The water, the water was right up to the platform edge. Yeah. Any any excuse for Scotrail not to run trains? Hallelujah. Back to the series, Simply Jesus, week 17. I know, this is going to be a record, because I've got, I've got, I mean, I've got John, what is it, is it 14, 15, and 16? I mean, that's 2024, isn't it? That's 2024 sorted. Yes, so am I. Yeah, only 12. Yeah, 12 chapters to go. We'll get there. Uh, Working our way through the Gospel of John. I hadn't planned that. I just planned calling it simply Jesus, but we seem to keep working through John. Uh, Not everything. I'm not going verse by verse. I'm not doing Ephesians or Galatians and all that. Another great thing about being pastor and teacher is I can just pick what I want to teach. So I I don't think I'll I'll do that. It's not that I don't understand it or anything. It's just I'll, I'll maybe do that again but teaching what I'm led on not verse by verse especially with this aspect or this respect of Jesus coming to end religion I mean I am just loving this it's it's a really exciting journey for me Jesus ending religion removing the need for religion as a way to approach God I just love that because you know what we don't have to as as approach God anymore because where is God? is the correct answer. Yeah, he's here. We don't have to find somewhere to approach him. We're here. He's here. And it's all about relationship now. Putting in place relationship through himself. That's relationship through Jesus as the way of the father. The Samaritan, not the Samaritan woman at Welbeck. I I love that story. The, the The other unnamed woman, who was of little importance, wasn't given a name, Just just going to be stoned and killed for the use of the Pharisees. That was all. Um, What was I going to say about her? Relationship. So Jesus rises up to be with this woman. Who else is there? Where are the Pharisees? Gone. Religion has gone. That's that's my favorite picture. That's my picture of the moment. Religion is gone. And all the woman has is her and Jesus. One to one. In relationship. Oh, just awesome. Loving it. This study, we're seeing the end of religion. A return to relationship. That's something I've not emphasized yet, I don't think. But after listening to Lindsay's message for the last two weeks, or Lindsay's messages for the last two weeks, I've been realizing this week that we're not moving into something new as in into a relationship, a one-to-one relationship with God. That's the way you set it up. We are returning to that. This temporary thing, the law that we can call religion, that's gone now. That that was never meant to be there, as Nunzi's been saying for the last two weeks. It was temporary. It was a shadow. The schoolmaster, it wasn't meant to be here for all time. There was this way, and it was relationship. We mucked it up. There was a law religion put in place for all the reasons that Nunzi spoke about. And then Jesus came to bring us back into relationship. And that's what it's all about now. Relationships, not religion. So God had in mind all the time, relationship it was lost in the garden, but Jesus came and made it possible for mankind to return into that relationship. Amen. I've also loved... Using John one seventeen in this passage, in this series, I mean, and I was thinking about it again this week. I was reminded constantly about John one seventeen as I was going through John nine. John one seventeen says, "The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ." I love that. This verse contrasts law and grace contrasts mankind in Jesus, contrasts religion and relationship. And that verse, to me, I'm looking at that, that is law and grace coming head to head and being contrasted. And that's what I'm seeing in John 9 this week as I'm reading through it. There is this encounter where religion comes up and tries to Go head to head with grace. One's against it. But what am I what am I talking about? Let's go to John 9. I'll read 1 to 7, I think. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answer, answered. Jesus answered neither hath this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When they had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, I love this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, unwashed, and came seeing. Miraculous. Loved it. The wonderful, miraculous working power of Jesus Christ. Healing the blind man, giving him back his sight. The man that was blind from birth, having his sight received. I mean, that's that's a miracle. You you could talk about that all day long, but I'm I'm not going to talk much about that. It might shock him. Absolutely. It would be marvellous though, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great? A lot for his brain to process, yeah, but I bet you a great fun process isn't it. Hallelujah. I'm not going to talk about the miracle itself. I'm more interested in the aftermath. I'm more interested in what comes after it. When those of a religious mindset go after the man, go after his parents, go after Jesus, go after grace. Just in the way religion does. This is a count of religion gunning for grace. And this is something that we see today. Religion gunning for grace. The teachers and the pastors that I see getting bad mouthed, and complained about and having YouTube videos clipped to make them say things they're not saying. It's always grace teachers. It's never preachers of the law. It's always grace teachers that they go after. Yeah, I mean, you can preach law, and nobody seems to bat an eyelid. But talk about complete forgiveness. And righteousness is a gift of grace through faith. And no need to work to see the blessings of God. And all hell breaks loose. And that's what we see in John 9, after the miraculous healing of Jesus. That might sound quite strong. The Pharisees? Yeah, all hell breaking loose. Because this is evil. This is of the enemy. This is not of Christ. If anything's is not of Christ, it's of the enemy, yeah? It's black and white. Yes or no, true or False. It's of him or not of him. And right away in this account, which is, I don't know if it's sad in a way, but it's enlightening. But the first time Jesus comes up against religion in this account is from the guys who are with him. It comes from the disciples. Whose sin made this man blind? Was it the man himself who sinned to make him blind? Now, logically, physically, you think, well, stupid question. He'd been blind from birth. What did he do? Did he do something naughty in the womb? Can Uh, anyway Or, or was it his parents whose sin caused this blindness and that was a common religious misconception then and it's a common religious misconception now that somebody's sin will have caused their sickness now possibly it could have Possibly it could have. There are things that we can do that are sinful, that can damage our bodies, that can make us sick. But not in every case. Here these guys just made an assumption. This guy's blind, so whose sin, who sin caused it? That was a common understanding of the day. And it's a common understanding today. Well, you know, brother, if you just stopped doing this and stopped doing that, God will heal you. I mean, the God will heal you is wrong in the first place. Isn't it? God's already healed us. Common misconception then, and it's a common misconception now. Now, yes, yes, I agree that ultimately, if we go right back to the roots of everything, sin is the ultimate cause of all sickness. Yeah? Mankind's sin. Sin as a as an entity, as a complete whole, is uh, is the cause of sickness, because there was no sickness before sin came in. There was no death before sin came in. So ultimately, yes, it is about sin. Sickness came in at the fall. It was the fault of mankind. But it's not always an individual's sin that causes the sickness. So it's wrong to tell a person, "You stop doing that." Stop eating bananas, and that will mean you're not sick anymore. And no, it's just not right. That, that, that's, that's nonsense. Because Jesus said it. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now, some folk get really apathy about this. Jesus is not saying they were perfect and sinless. That's what it, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. He's answering a question in context. It's not their individual sin that has caused the sickness. They're sinners, obviously. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's not that they're perfect. Someone else has caused this sickness. Jesus says it's not the fault of the man, and it's not the fault of his parents, as in their individual sin. And I've heard that interpreted correctly. But then I've heard it interpreted that he was made blind, so the glory of God could shine when God healed him. God's not schizophrenic. God doesn't do one thing to solve something else. Now it's interpreted well, he was made blind to show how great I am by healing him. In his sovereignty God created this man blind to further on reveal his goodness. I mean I mean, come on, have you read the rest of Scripture? Yeah, you know, he's been made blind by God to be healed by God. Absolute rubbish. Because that goes against the rest of Scripture. Only good things come from God. Only perfect things come from above is what the Word says, from God. That's James 1.17. Now, I don't know about you. I spent an hour last night trying to be sick into a toilet. I didn't find it a blessing. It wasn't great fun. And I'm really sore this morning. And it's not blessing me. Sickness is not a good thing. It's a curse, actually. Deuteronomy 28. Read that later. There's a great long list of goodness, blessings, and a great long list of curses. Sickness is in the cursive list. It is not a blessing to be sick. Now, some good things may come of it. You know, we can use things, God can use situations, but He doesn't cause them. Deuteronomy 28 sickness is clearly a curse. And we don't have to be under a curse because Galatians 3.13 says Jesus hung on a cross, so we would not be under a curse. So, sickness is a curse. We're not under curses anymore, so it would not be biblical for God to make us sick, for God to make this man sick to heal him. It's just nonsense. Fix man's interpretation, fits man's experience, but it's not. So how can we interpret what Jesus says in verse two? Well, it's simple. Jesus is saying, no one's individual sin caused this, but now I've got an opportunity to show God's glory. It's easy. Now I've got an opportunity to show God's glory. Because I must work the works of him that sent me. Now the works of him that sent me is not to come against his original works. Yeah. Yeah, I've not, he didn't say, I have come to redo the works that he's done. To show how great he is. Rubbish. nonsense. And what is the work that he was sent to do? Heal people. Stickness is a curse. It's the work of the devil It came in through the fall. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, amen? 1 John 3 verse eight tells us that. He didn't come to undo what God had originally done. He came to undo the works of the devil. Now if he's doing undoing the works of the devil, and he heals people, that must mean logically, Captain, that sickness is the work of the devil. I mean, we need, to, we need to read our Bibles, for goodness sake, and not out of context. I agree if you just read that, verse 3, it, you could take it as he didn't sin, they didn't sin, but God made them sick so I could heal them. If you just if you just took out that four lines out of context. But you can't take the Bible out of context, or so you shouldn't take it out of context. You need to study it. You need to rightly divide the word with all the other verses. And James 1.17, Deuteronomy 28, Galatians three thirteen one, 1 John 3, verse 8, categorically states, and I'm going to say this, God could not have made him blind. He'd be going against his word. And that beautiful skies that we see up there, God goes against his word. It's just going to go. This is only his word and truth that's holding everything together. His job was to destroy sickness and provide healing. And he did just that through his ministry and through his finished work on the cross. It's as simple as that. What about the aftermath? I mean, I thought the Pharisees were picky and ridiculous, but this is just, this is just beyond belief. I wanna examine the aftermath of this healing. The way religion comes against grace time and time again. And it will do, because religion is of the enemy, and man, grace is of the Lord. So religion will always go after grace. Always has, always will be. Time and time again. First, Grace comes along and provides healing. And he try to make excuses and push it away and say it's not true. John 9, verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Is this not the blind guy? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him but he said, I am he. Well, is that him? Well, it kind of looks like him. Casting doubts. I mean, some people would have marveled, I imagine. Possibly, like himself, may have been shocked. Having to process all this new stuff. Good build, jokes. The neighbors might have been marvel. and I imagine them marveling and being shocked and being amazed. I've known this guy for however many years. He couldn't see. Now he can see. Hallelujah! That's fantastic for him. Isn't it amazing? Well, actually, is really him? Can, can we get over this? I mean, see how stupid it is. See how stupid religion is. Well, well, is it is it really him? I would have thought everyone would be celebrating and thankful and grateful, but no. I'm not sure if it's, I'm casting doubt on it, on the miracle. But he says, not me. But there are those, forget this, there are those who would not believe. It's Not could not. There are those who would not. There are people who will not believe in the miraculous. Today as well. They insist there's a natural or physical explanation for everything. You know, no matter what you say or show, they just will not believe because they've got that mindset. Now it could be atheism in science or it could be religion. Because a lot of the religious say, no, 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 miracles, it's cessationist, miracles stopped. There's no speaking in tongues, and no miracles, and no nothing now. It's just it's just the word. Now the word's brilliant. But hallelujah, we've still got miracles. We've still got speaking in tongues. No, no, physical explanation for them. Doesn't matter what you say, they just will not understand. I've told people about the true story that John Monder told us about he spoke out a new kidney for a believer over the phone. They had one kidney. They phoned John and said, can you pray to heal my kidney? And he said, no. We'll speak out a new one. Went back to the doctor. Two kidneys. How do you explain that? The doctor's a liar. Mm-hmm. Told them about the instant healings I've seen. Instant healings I've been involved in. Backs. Remember that period I went through? Everywhere I, I, I couldn't move for somebody with a bad back. Healed. People coming out to my work. Are you, are you healing people's backs? Aye. Oh, well, can you do mine? HR, I need a chat bit. I hear you've been healing people's backs. Yeah. Can you heal my uncle? Uh, Tell people about that. Well, no, it was all delusional. They weren't really sick. They weren't really good. It's all power of the mind. Now, the mind is powerful. I get that. That's the placebo effect. What, every time? During that period? I told them about the account I saw of a metal plate disappearing from inside a person's head. They were getting headaches. They'd been in this crash. They had a metal plate in their head. So they had this bit of paper so they could go through airport security. I have a bit of metal in my head. So they handed them the thing after they'd been, somebody had prayed for them because their head was really sore, even after the operation. Had their bit of paper, walked through the scanner, nothing went off. That's really surprising. Went back to the doctor, metal plate gone. Well, it wasn't there in the first place. The x-rays are fakes, they're lies. Told them about the night we were at the conference when Hannah Tarades was healed. Now she's married, she's married, can you believe that? Yeah, a couple of years ago. She's now married, she was a tooth. T- took her home, taking her home to die. That's not good. But Andrew Womack and Jesus saw it that. But oh no, oh no, that couldn't have been that. Yeah, you, no, you. I was there. I was there. I saw it. I'm oh, just, just a liar. Tell people about the video about Audrey and her new heart. You know the one every time I watch makes me greet. You must have seen that. Andrew Womack's healing journeys. Something wrong with our hearts. Next day, there's nothing wrong with our hearts. It's perfect. it has got a new heart. Well, the doctors, the doctors probably didn't. Maybe the x-ray was taken from the wrong angle and didn't get oh, what a load of rubbish. You keep telling them, but they don't believe. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. Keep telling them. Keep testifying. Remember, we saw, was it three or four weeks ago? Jesus never stopped interacting with the religious, did he? He actually went looking for them. Let's carry on this conversation, boys. We need, to, we need to keep doing that. So they're just not satisfied. So what do they do? They go to the Pharisees. Take them to the Pharisees. And we see the religious mindset getting worse, getting involved in this. And again, we see religion really coming against grace. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees him that a fourth time was blind, and it was, a sab- oh, it was a Sabbath. Of course, it was Jesus. I mean, I love it. Always on the Sabbath. See, Jesus took six days off and worked on the Sabbath. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> 13, they brought to the Pharisees him that a fourth time was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and I washed and do see. The Pharisees investigate the issue, investigate the healing. They question the man who'd been healed rather than saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they pounce upon the fact that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. You need to heal your eyes. You just brought in your glasses. Here is Jesus again doing something on the Sabbath and ticking off the Pharisees. I mean, you could have done it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever. They'd have still been ticked off. But it was like any excuse. Oh, it's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to change people's lives on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to bring glory. You're not allowed to bring heaven down and healing on the Sabbath. I mean, you could pull a donkey out of the gutter, but then you couldn't get him to work after that. But, so there was all this kind of nonsense about the Sabbath. See, what I've noticed, and it's with the Pharisees and it's true today, anything outside the bounds set by the religious gets them annoyed and angry. And you know what I see? Religious people get angry, and quite easily. Clapping, raising your hands in worship. Not in our church, terrible thing to do. Wearing jeans, wearing jeans to go to church. I mean, even worse, wearing jeans to preach. Not even have a suit or tie. We wouldn't do that in our church. Not remembering the Sabbath. Are you getting a ferry on Sunday to go to this island? Good luck, yeah. Not on this island you don't. (laughs) You know, religion has its rules, religion has its regulations, and go out with those and you are in trouble. Go outside those rules and regulations and you are removed from fellowship, you have sanctions against you, you, you cannot take communion until you sort yourself out. I should probably just need to take communion again then, and you aren't allowed it. Yeah, I know churches where people are not allowed to take communion because they're still in sin. I bet not one of you have been absolutely perfect this week. I'm not going to ask you to list them, in, but not one of you. In your flesh, in yourself this morning, are worthy to take communion. You didn't, you didn't think this grace preacher would be saying this this morning, did you? This would be good to snip. You know what? You are just not worthy to take communion. I should have a mirror. You, Vic, are not worthy to take communion in yourself. But I am in my spirit. I'm worthy because of Jesus. Amen. So people not allowed to take communion. You've got to take a letter from your minister to another minister. To see that you're okay for communion. What's that all about? Removed from fellowship. Absolutely. Look at this. John 9:22. The man is told, if he confesses Jesus, you'll be put out of the synagogue. If you confess Jesus and what he's done, what can the guy say? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can't see. <laughs> I was, I, you know what? You know what? I just made a oops bump. Report. You know? Was he what, what is he supposed to do? Oh, oh man. John John nine thirty-four. I'm not going through the whole account, but read it when you get home. John nineteen thirty-four, he was cast out. It says he was excommunicated for telling the truth. For telling the truth, amen. He was cast out of fellowship. Cast out by religion. For talking about grace and truth, Jesus Christ. It's come, religion comes against Jesus. Religion does not let biblical truth get in the way of what they believe or their traditions or what they've been taught, what their church does. Religion will not let you. It, that might sound like a strange statement, but it's true. Religion does not seem concerned about biblical truth. This man was telling them about Jesus. This man was telling them about grace and truth from John 1.17. And he was removed from fellowship. He should have been put in the pulpit. Should have been promoted. No, no, no. He was removed from fellowship. Then there, got the t-shirt. And some of you have too. I remember being told in my old denomination, You know, Vic, if if you weren't a current pastor, if you were another pastor looking to bring your church into the denomination, we wouldn't have you because you're teaching the grace message. How can you stay, you know, when, when that's said to you? And we had an amicable parting of ways, you know. That was fine. But I don't call it grace message, I call it gospel. I call it truth, I call it Grace. Not the grace message, it's grace. It's Jesus Christ. Religion is like a straitjacket. Once you're in it, you cannot deviate, you cannot question, you cannot move out of their limits, rules and constraints. The only freedom is in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Once you're in Jesus Christ, you adhere to those rules, guidelines, constraints all the better than he did than when you were in religion. Because you're doing them out of love now. Not out of a have to. Oh. So that's good. That I say that's good enough. That was bad enough. Now the bit that has really had the most impact on me this week. <laughs> and I've got to be very careful when I'm going here. Because this makes me really annoyed. Okay. So I'm going to try and just tone it down a wee bit. Because this ticks me off. See, religion brings fear. Religion builds fear. Religion lives off fear. that annoys me. Verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they go and didn't believe the guy. So who can we go now? Oh, we'll go and ask his mom and dad. Until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? you say was born blind? and then does he now see? Uh, Because he's met Jesus. (laughs) His parents answered him and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now, I read that and I thought, oh, well, thank you so much, mum and dad. But then I really felt, I thought about the shoes they were in and what they must have been going through. Now, maybe they don't know that his son has been healed. I find that hard to believe. Maybe this is the Pharisees. The first time they spoke about it, maybe that was when they found out and that their answer was truthful. I don't know. But I think they might have known before this that the boy was healed. But never, I think so. So I really feel for the parents, because they were put under pressure. They were questioned about the events. They were asked three questions. I'll take it out of good old King James, put it in English. Is this your son? Was he born blind? How did he receive his sight? And they answered the first two questions, and they answered them truthfully. Yes, this is our son. Yes, he was blind from birth. But as for the third question, his encounter with grace and truth, which is what it was. The third question, they say, we don't know. He's old enough. My mum would say, he's old enough and ugly enough. I don't know where that phrase comes from. You're old enough and ugly enough, do it yourself. He's old enough. Ask himself, ask him. What are they saying? Don't ask us, don't involve us. We are gonna keep out of this. They they cop out of that final question. even though he is their son. Why don't they get involved? I'll tell you why. Because they're afraid of the Pharisees. Oh, how can you say that, Vic? Because it says in the Bible. Where does it say it? Thank you. I meant to read 22. I'm to read the 23. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. for well, the Jews had agreed already. See that? Before the evidence. Before they'd they'd got all the facts, before they'd looked into everything, but the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Before they've looked at the evidence, before they've finished the investigations, before they've looked into everything. Yeah, if you're preaching grace, you're out. Doesn't matter anything else you're doing. If you're preaching grace, you wouldn't be here. You're out. They were in fear of the Pharisees. They were in fear of religion and those of a religious mindset. And that is a damning condemnation of religion. Being in fear of it. That's not of God. That's not of Christ. Yeah, we read words in fear of God, but that's a different fear. That's in awe and marvel and wonder. It's not sitting cowering because he's going to zap you. That's what religion tells you. The parents were in fear of the Pharisees. Another sign of religion brings fear. And I see this today. It's horrible. I was sitting meditating on this and I sat, closed my eyes and I saw the faces of believers that I know have been in fear of religion and are in fear of religion. Religion will remind people of their sin. Religion will remind people of the alleged potential of their sin. I say alleged. You keep doing that, God is going to remove X, Y, and Z from your life. You keep doing that, God is going to make you sick. You're still full of pride, God is going to humble you by making you sick. That's what religion says. And people are in fear of that. The alleged potential of their sin, and it causes fear. Causing fear to the extent that people are questioning their eternal salvation. That's not of Jesus. That is not of God. God will not put it on your heart and convict you that you're going to hell. Oh, I mean, oh. I, I I don't know what to teach. I don't know what else to teach to remove that mindset. I, 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 I don't know what else to say. I've been saying this for 15 years. That's of the devil. That's of the enemy. Putting fear into you that you, a born-again believer, who in the spirit is righteous and holy and pure and perfect, and who's now seated in heavenly places with him, and is worthy in his eyes, and is accepted in his eyes, religion's telling you you might go to hell for what you're doing. Yeah, it's not good for you. I'll get that. Sin is not good for you. But has sin been dealt with or has sin not been dealt with? That is the correct answer. Thank you. A bit slow there, Josh. Sin has, been, sin has been dealt with. It's been dealt with, bless you. So how can your sin send you to hell? Other than there was something that didn't go on the cross. Do we believe that little three-letter word that we see all over the place in the Bible? A-L-L. all all sin all time once. Read Hebrews ten. Your sin cannot send you to hell. What can you do that? God forbids. not good for you here, not good for your family, not good for your friends, not good for your colleagues, not good for anybody. But will it send you to hell? No. My understanding of scripture, I don't get time to get into it, but if anyone was interested, I could do a teaching on it. My interpretation is you can renounce your faith if you are mature, know the Bible, and are flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. You can renounce your salvation. You can't lose it. But who, in their, who <laughs> if they're a mature Christian, know all the words, and are flowing in the gifts of the spirit, who's gonna answer? it? Is it possible? Yes, is it probable? No. But my understanding of new covenant scriptures, you can't lose it. Even for really bad, bad sins. You know, if someone is gonna go to hell for a bad sin, I'm not gonna name them, because then folk will say you're speaking about me. But we all know what the really bad sins are. I'm probably quite safe. Will I safely? I'm not, uh, No. Any, pos- any possible murderers in, in here? Okay. Maybe. i will not. i not go there. We know all the big bad sins, don't we? Yeah. If eh. you're going to go to hell for that. You're gonna go to hell for stealing somebody's milk at work. You're gonna go to hell for taking a pencil from the office that's not yours. You're gonna go to hell for that wee snidey remark that you make to somebody in sarcasm. You are, Carl. There's there's someone else you can snip. Yeah, you're going to go, this is not a grace. Is he a grace preacher? <laughs> you're not worthy. You're going to hell. Because you see, a sin is a sin is a sin. God doesn't look on different sins. as Some are really bad and some are not so bad. A sin is falling short of the glory of God. Stealing somebody's milk from work is falling short of the glory of God. Eating somebody's peace is falling short of the glory of God. You're right, Zan. It's all things I... It's all things I've done. They won't, they won't notice. Are we are we drought of milk? Oh, oh dear, I has got millions of pencils. I'll just take that pencil. Stealing. Sinful. They've got a hell of it. I don't have to. Because see that pencil? It was on Jesus on the cross. Along with my murderous thoughts, and sorry, I'm looking at Zan that one. I didn't mean to. You know, it's, it's I didn't mean I didn't want to go down this road. I don't think, but sin is a sin is a sin. All sin has been dealt with. So, and I, I say this carefully, you know, it's like I don't care what you're doing today. In terms of what God sees, and eternity, and right standing with Him. I don't care what you're doing today, because that doesn't affect that. I care as a fellow human being and a pastor if you're doing sinful things. They're not good for you. Not good for us as a fellowship. Not good for your family. Who's that boy? Is it Bob Newhart? If you're in sin, I'll give you some advice. Stop it. (laughs) No, I won't. You know what? I'll preach righteousness. I'll preach grace. I'll wait to righteousness and sin not. Is what the word says. I'm completely lost in my notes now. I don't know where I stopped and went on that rant. What, what was going on before I... Talking about the parents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I see people in the church and uh, the body of Christ who are in fear of religion, in fear of their eternal salvation, in fear of in questioning whether God loves them. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear on this. God loves us. As Andrew would say, God loves you, stupid. (laughs) God loves us. The word, new Covenant word to me, says that God accepts me. It's not an excuse for me to go and woo-ha, have a, a sin party. But if I did, he still loves me. He still accepts me. He still sees me as righteous. I might not be doing righteous things. It's not an excuse. Don't do it. But but you can't lose your salvation, my understanding of Scripture. I put that in at the end because some some people want to correct me. My understanding of Scripture is you cannot lose your salvation through sin. So being in fear of the religious saying... You, know, you backslider, you are on the slippery slopes. Slippery slopes to where? If I backslide I'm on the slippery slopes to heaven. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to be, what's the matter? Oh, I can't. Okay. Far more important than my sermon. See that, see that sinful thoughts I have now? I'm not going to hell for that. I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. causing fear to the extent that people question their eternal salvation, whether God loves them or accepts them. It's not of God, it's of religion and it's of the enemy. And and that makes me cross, I said, putting it mildly. see, the Pharisees were trying to bring doubt into the mind of people here. Was he really blind from birth? Is this really him? Did this healing even happen? And trying to get people in fear... To say no. Because if you say yes, there's the door. If you say yes to Jesus, if you say yes to grace and truth, you're out. Out of the synagogue, out of this denomination. Still happening. Religion will do that. It will bring in doubts, it will bring in concerns, it will bring in fears. If we start thinking that we are responsible for anything from God, we are in trouble. And that's religion. Religion has sneaked in. We're not perfect. We know. Well, I know what I think. I know what I do. Carol knows what she thinks. Carol knows what she does. Me and Carol are sitting there and thinking, how can God love us? But we know that it's not our performance. We know it's the performance of Jesus. So we're still loved. We're still accepted. Why? Because Jesus was perfect. And Jesus was in perfect and is in perfect relationship with the Father. And his perfectly perfect finished work dealt with all sin for all time, for all men, forever. It's basically Hebrews 10. Religion is of man and of the enemy, so it's not perfect. Our relationship with the Lord is through Jesus and He was and He is perfect. Gonna finish with a new one for this series. One John four eighteen. <laughs> one John four eighteen says, There is no fear in love. Well that just tells me straight away religion is not love. Fear in our love made perfect. No, it's not. Yes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. Religion will torment you. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. No fear in love. Jesus is love. Jesus is perfect. In true relationship with him, trusting in him for everything will cast out all fear. Any fear in our life, any fear, And it is not of Jesus and not of love. And it could be because religion has sneaked in. Religion is subtle. Religion is not of love. Religion is not of Jesus and will result in fear. If we have any area of fear in our lives, are we trusting in anything, something other than Jesus? Have we allowed religion of some sort to slip in? Are we trusting in something of self? Instead of what we have through Jesus? That's the, the answer must be yes, if we're in fear. Anything other than Jesus can result in fear. There is no fear in grace and truth. There is fear in law and religion. Have I done enough? Have I done enough to get in? Or have I done that one sin that probably means I'm out? That's religion. That's fear. Remember, the law was given by Moses. Religion is given by man and by the enemy. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen.